All right, and welcome everybody to another edition of Navigating the Intentional Life. I'm Justin Copeland, founder and creator podcasts where men are working to lead men, families, businesses, and to create a better air about masculinity and the excellence uh, of men all around. And today, with that, I've got a fantastic young man on that I have known, I had the pleasure of knowing for a very long time now. He is a Christ follower, a husband, he is a father, he's a pastor, and he has one of the best shoe collections I have ever seen. So when he says sneakerhead, that is definitely uh, an underwhelming statement when it comes to that collection. Man, I'm speaking about is the Joshua Dodd. Josh, how are you doing? Good, sir. I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I got to tell you, dude, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, as I've already stated, we have known each other for quite a while. I uh, have yeah. the privilege of of being around you and your family. And man, I got to tell you, when I see you and the Dodds as a whole, it's a it's a group, guys, of people that when they smile, you want to smile too. Just some of the kindest, most real. Um, and when I talk about men being men, this entire family does that. Uh, even the point of Josh, your mom is is fantastic woman. And every great man needs a fantastic woman to keep us in line, right? Absolutely. Uh, mom Mom was not given an easy task. Uh, you know, having me and my brother and then also being with <clears throat> my dad. But, I mean, she did it. She does it so well. Um, just by the way she she loves us. And, you know, she leads from her perspective on just being a man and and, and what, what a woman needs from a man. It's something that she definitely and it's been it's, it's it's been a great life lesson that I definitely carry to this day. Absolutely, and that's something that, that we've talked about on this podcast over the course of the last now eight episodes. And that yes, this is a podcast. This is a movement and a mission for men to understand that it is okay to be masculine and what that means. But it requires that a man has a solid woman to remind him of that, that target that he's looking at and, and where that's supposed to go. And I can tell you right now, uh, that is something that I think we miss quite a bit in today's society. I mean, I, myself, I'm a single guy. I've got two sons that are, that I'm, I'm raising. So I'm wearing both hats. I'm doing both, uh, roles between being, you know, being a dad and a mom. And that's just something you cannot replace on either side. And that, that aspect of what, helps us do what we need to do from a family perspective is massively important. And I know you as a man, just from the, the role models that your parents are and that your brother is, uh, have definitely ingrained that into your psyche, into every fabric of your being. And it shows in everything that you do. Well, man, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's big, it's a big shadow uh, to stand in. Um, you know, I, I never realized that, you know, when someone says, Oh, you're, you know, Bobby Dodd's son, what it meant. And the older I get, I realize, man, it, it truly is an honor, man. It's something that, you know, God blessed me with. And uh, it's something that I don't take lightly um, just to my family name to, to even just to look like him, 
which I'm a spitting image of my dad. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, both are. From, from the attitude <laughs> to the laugh to all of it. I mean, I am, I am definitely Bobby Dodd's son. So, man, I'll tell you when it comes to your dad, <clears throat> I still remember uh, meeting him for the first time uh, way back when I don't remember how old I was, but he had a level of an air of cool about him right like he just carried himself in a way that after i got done talking to him i mean i was i was almost nervous right i'm like i need to be like that dude like he just oozes confidence he's kind but he speaks intelligently right the articulation and every word that he said just i i was i was stuck i was just hanging on each word and that's something I don't forget when I start thinking about the guys back in my past as a, as a young man growing up, you know, in a small town that we grew up in. It uh, it was it was it was memorable. You know, I mean, you pay attention to guys like that. And that's why, you know, with with you being on this podcast, when I start thinking about, you know, the guys in my life or the guys that I want to help share a message. You fit that to a T absolutely 100% to a T. And, you know, I have said that this is not a religious podcast. And when I say that, what I mean is I don't want to mislead anyone because I am not trained in that. I'm not going to be able to spit a scripture right off the top of my head if need be, but I'm definitely going to try to present myself and my lifestyle in a way that shows that I am also a Christ follower. And I think when I start looking at guys like yourself and the roles that you have taken on, it absolutely fits this, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to take on a responsibility that's bigger than yourself? And that's really the core of what we're trying to accomplish here with the phrase navigating the intentional life. What are you doing today that makes tomorrow better? Not just for yourself, but for your family. For the people around you and your tribe, we talk a lot about tribe. So when I think about you, Josh, we disconnected as life happens. We go our, our separate ways. But you stuck, for the most part, it seems like, to a game plan, right? Graduated from, from Barlesville, Oklahoma, and went you know, straight into college, correct? Yes. Now, that's yeah. tell me a little bit about – tell me a little about that uh, – that step in your life, that process, and and what that was like for you. Well, man, I mean, to be honest, going to college was something that I never really thought too highly of because I would always describe myself as someone who was smart enough to make straight A's, but I had too much personality to do that. So I was like an A-B <laughs> student. Right. Like I just, you know, talking in class kind of stuff through high school and you know i had great counselors and great teachers that were like you know there's really a lot more to you than i think even you know is there and i think college would be a great place for you and uh i remember Kay johnson yeah great Kay johnson good um, shout out she uh she encouraged me to check out oklahoma state and i was like man you know half this class is gonna be going to oklahoma state i don't want to relive bartlesville in college like i want to you know, have a brand new experience. And she goes, you know, I get that, but just try it out. And took a visit. And within five, 10 minutes, I was like, I'm going to school here. 
this is where I'm going to be. Got there. Um, and uh, at the time, so I cheered my senior year of high school. Um, I was high school cheerleader. Um, and I had the opportunity that whenever, you know, I told my coach, like, hey, you know, I think I'm going to go to Oklahoma State. He's like, well, why don't you try to cheer while you're there? And I was like, I mean, I never thought about it. But for me, I saw it as a cool opportunity because in my family, um, there was there had been no set of brothers that had ever gone to college and both graduated. So me and my brother were the first set of brothers on both sides of our family, mom's side and dad's side, where two brothers went to college and graduated. And for the sake that I got to cheer in college for two years, I also became the first college athlete in my family. So like there was a lot that, you know, it seemed like a this big task, but I was kind of just like, you know, if 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 God wants me to do it, I'm gonna do it. And yeah. it just seemed like it was all kind of laid out. Like, why don't you at least give this a try? And I loved it, man. I made so many memories cheering in those two years at Oklahoma State. Had a had a little spat with uh, some injury here and there, but uh, man, the memories I made, the people I got to uh, you know ride up and down the highways with, those that I got to meet, even it's just it, it's stuff that. I still tell my son about to this day. And he's like, that, you had a pretty cool run in college. And I was That's like, yeah, it was, it was way more than just a run, but it was like, daddy became a lot of the man he is today from going to college. So, Dude. And that's, I got to tell you, I'm going to take it a different direction because I mean, I, I remember that from high school. I remember over the years seeing that that's, that's what was, was going on um, for you guys. And, I thought, man, that guy's smart, right? Like, he goes off, he's getting to cheer, <laughs> he's around all these beautiful girls. That dude was thinking it through, right? <laughs> like, I just I remember thinking that. But it is one of those things that, man, I, I get the vibe when it comes to the college thing, right? Because my dad was the first out of my clan that actually finished college and got not just a bachelor's degree, but went on to get a master's. Oh, wow. And now since then, some of these other dominoes have fallen. I, I myself haven't gone. I mean, look, I, I had senioritis in first grade. So, <laughs> you know, like, I was just like, I'm out. I like the social aspect of school. But outside of anything else, the books and all that stuff, like, I'd rather learn in the real world. And now when you went to college, I mean, dude. So you were, did you travel like for the basketball games, football games? Like when you cheer, was that all the sports or was it one so specific that you did? Uh, great question. So that's, it's a lot of different parts of that. So that's um, all football games, home and away. That's nice. bowl games. Nice. Um, that's home basketball games. That's big 12 tournament. That's the field of 64 tournament. And then, um, of course, you have your national competition. So I got to do all of those for two years. That's legit. Now, why was it just two years? Was it you had a cutoff at a certain point or you decided after two years, hey, I've got to focus on this. This next thing cheering needs to be you know, put to bed. Like what what was the cutoff at two years for? So I actually had issues with my back and I had herniated discs. So gotcha. uh, that at the time hit 
Uh, I had herniated disc issues. I had separated both of my shoulders multiple times. And so it was kind of like, hey, you know, if you keep this up, you know, you're healthy enough to make it through, but you're probably going to look at surgeries by the time you get out. And I was like, man, yeah. I'm still young. I want my body to, to recoup and, you know, be healthy. And I actually separated my shoulder um, at one point so badly that I couldn't get um, my above like eye level. So it was, it was to the point to where so bad I'm taking Tylenol like three, I believe is what it was take doing ice baths. And I was like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I have a college experience. <clears throat> and so I, I, you know, I walked away from cheerleading and um, I actually, so I got into Greek life at Oklahoma state and uh-huh. uh Doing that, um, proud member of the Gamma Delta chapter of Sigma Chi. Um, I actually broke the color barrier at that fraternity um, for that house. So they had oh, never wow. had a person of color um, pledge and get initiated. I pledged, I initiated, and I held office. So it was a cool honor to uh, be able to say I'm the first. And so whenever I visit, um, that's kind of, it becomes a question to where guys are like, have you ever met that guy? And it's like, well, no, who is he? And then some of them will look and say, I've seen him on the composite. He's so-and-so. And so so they know my name. They know my story. Um, Before I even, you know, really know them, they know of me. And so that's a a super cool honor. Now, when, what year was this? So I pledged my sophomore year. So that had been 2003. And then I was, I was initiated spring of '04. That blows my mind. It blows my mind that you were the first person of color in that fraternity in '0304. You know, yeah. I mean, I just that's that's hard to wrap my mind around. And and I mean, we can circle back to that. Um, you know, because that's that is a huge deal to be the first. Uh, I will say, you know, I my freshman year of, of college, I did the same thing. Um, pledged, didn't accept to, to actually be in the attorney uh, in the fraternity. But <clears throat> I mean, we at eight, you know, it was ATO at, at UCO. OK, we had people of color. We had people of color. Right. I mean, it just it just blows my mind that 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 could even still be a thing in 03. But. That said, so you get into that. I mean, for me with fraternity life, man, I maybe I looked at it wrong. I had a lot of other things going on. Um, I actually did not finish, I guess you call it my pledge ship. Uh, but what ways did that fraternity life, those 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 brothers that you met and became close with? Because I'd imagine you established some pretty good relationships, pretty close relationships in that time frame. How did that help shape you going forward? that's another really good question. Um, I think a lot of it was really, it just kind of showed me uh, just how to, you know, how to open up yourself to new experiences. So, you know, making friends and maybe typically I wouldn't have. Um, So I learned how to kind of get to this place where I could be both sympathetic and empathetic because, you know, not everybody was the same. We all came from different places. So you had guys that were second and third generation, like, wealthy guys that were well taken care of and then you had other guys that came from small little country places and you know 
it, you had to learn how to kind of kind of vibe you know connected to each person in the house and so it it create it gave me the ability to kind of flex a social muscle that i never really had to because i grew up in a small town you know bartlesville everybody do everybody well this was a situation where i had to really kind of work to get to know guys and right. it really taught me a lot it taught me networking it taught me you know um just a lot of life skills uh, and you know i got to use some some of what I came up with because I was actually the soul, so I got to plan parties, date parties, all that stuff. Uh, I, I got to be the guy that did that, but it was just a lot of fun just to learn. Just you know, we're all not that different, um, right? We all have we all have a place where we can connect. It's just do we will we take the time to figure the figure out those places? And For sure, and I think it's interesting because you know we did grow up in the same town, and it's a small town. It's a small town. I would I would not necessarily use the word diverse, but I would say Bartlesville is not a typical small town. And maybe you can agree with that. But that that experience growing up in Bartlesville to your fraternity experience, how did that those circumstances? I mean, being the first person of color in there. Were there. What's the word I'm trying to look for there were the things that you had to overcome mentally, you know, um, whether it's in relationships or even just having to educate those around you in that experience, you maybe didn't grow up in an environment where they were used to diversity. And I guess the last question of that is how did you impact that change for your fraternity, you know, kind of being the Jackie Robinson for that fraternity, right? Like, opening that door and that barrier as it should have been, how were you able to kind of push things and, and, and speed things up to catch up for the times? I think more than anything, I really just kind of broke the mold on a lot of people's thinking um, because, you know, a lot of the guys were coming out of the same places, um, but there really wasn't a lot of guys that, you know, that weren't outside kind of just that cookie cutter mold. And so, you know, there, there are other um, guys or Sigma guys and um, they just never really made the connection to, to like, you're from the same town as this guy or that guy. And I was like, yeah, same town. You know, I hung out with them or my brother hung out with them or we, I knew them through some weird six degree of separation within Bartlesville. And uh, you know, it just, it kind of just opened people's eyes to think that, you know, what you may want, what you may think you want is not actually what you need. And right. I, I felt like I was a guy that when I came along, I was what they needed. I thought differently. I acted differently, but more importantly, I just gave them a new perspective on life to where they saw um, that it's uh, the, the, the values that we, that we were upholding and, and that we, you know, were living by. It can be found in any man, not just in this guy because he's so-and-so's son or this guy because he's a friend of a friend. It right. can be found in anybody. We just have to open our eyes, look for the best in all people, not just the best of some people. Absolutely. That's that's good stuff. I'm not even going to step all over that. So you pledge the fraternity. Now, what were you going to college for? What was your initial goal as far as what you wanted to graduate with your degree? 
So the goal was to go for marketing. Um, Cause after taking all the little personality tests and things like that, I was like, yeah, you know, marketing sounds cool. It's, it's a lot of meet and greet. It's a lot of presentations. It's a lot of, you know, getting to understand what people wanted and what their desired outcome was and work with them to help them get there. So it was really benefit and it had the least amount of graduate. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Cause yeah. I was like, cause like my brother started out in engineering, like how many hours? Eight. And the average person is five and a half years. Absolutely right. not. Right. That's three, right. that's three years of math. Absolutely. And I was just like, man, I want something that touches a little bit of all the business majors without having to really commit to just one thing. So marketing kind of helped play all parts of the business world um, so that way you were flexible and you were able to use it to use any part that you need to whenever you whenever the time came. Absolutely. And it's funny because as you're saying, I'm like, look, I know you marketing mark or at least i know your personality marketing would be a fantastic fit because i'm sure you could have a a, a good conversation with a wall and make it interesting i mean you're just that guy so i myself walking into college no no damn clue right took the personality test you know took the asvab thought maybe military route but i think i landed on either business administration business management with a marketing you know um, minor ended up not staying with it. So, you know, again, that comes back to the senioritis thing in first grade, but that said, so you, did you stay with marketing? Did you graduate with marketing or did you end up changing before you finished your time at OSU? No. So, uh, well actually, yes and no. So I did stay with marketing, but my senior year, I got a great opportunity to work for the athletic department. So I worked for the uh, marketing and game day operations team for Oklahoma State. So I was able to work basketball, work football, work baseball, work soccer, work softball, <clears throat> all the events. And I got to see really the marketing, the buildup, the ticket sale, all that stuff for how it worked. And it really made me like, man, I want to work in the sports world. So I thought, you know, I was going to semester, I could have got like a minor in sports marketing, but I graduated with a marketing degree with a focus of study and written and spoken communication. So what that basically means is that I graduated and I was really good in speech class and English. Cause I could write papers. Right. Uh, so did all look for sports jobs. And so I started looking and I couldn't work at the school because they kind of had someone already and they were like, you know, to really be successful in this, in this gig, like you're going to have to move every few years to a different school, a different sport, a different. And I was right. like, man, I don't like, I don't like moving. I don't, it's just not me. At it. Uh, I get attached to places <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to have to move that often. And uh, my brother actually, he had gotten a job working for Walmart headquarters in Bentonville. And I was, he's like, you know, they're hiring, you know, college graduates. They're wanting people that, you know, pretty smart, pretty, you know, think fast on their feet kind of people. And I was like, oh, I could do that. I was like, so what's the gig? And he was like, it's logistics. And I was like, like truck driving logistics. <laughs> right. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, but I have a marketing degree. Like I can't get in the business office. 
he's like, well, you could, but if you go work in logistics, we do for tens and then we're done. I'm off three days. And I was like, you know, I think my brother might've struck gold and let me in on tips. Right. Uh, it was like a five hour interview. Like I started at like eight in the morning. I didn't finish until like two or three after lunch, which I'd never been to an interview where they let me actually go and have a lunch and then come back. Uh, so did that, got the job that day that I, I, that I did my interview and I graduated on a Friday and I was working that next Monday. Damn. No break. No, like, Hey, maybe we take a little time to celebrate this achievement. Mm -hmm. You're just like straight into Walmart. Yeah. Dude, I gotta tell you, I, uh, I worked for the Walmart administration for a bit and then I worked for Walmart distribution. Ah, life. Bro, oh. they are big on the hey, look at this. You can work 10 hours and have three days off, four tens, and then you're off three days. My dumbass didn't know anything about the distribution center. Oh. They put me in the freezer. <laughs> loading, loading all the stuff up that's going to be shipped out on the trucks to the stores. I can yeah. tell you right now, no offense to Sam Walton hated it absolutely <laughs> loathed it with all of my being i think i lasted maybe two and a half months and i was like look the pay's fine but i'll take eight dollars an hour to get out of this freezer it, and it was like you check in at four in the morning and they still yep. wanted to do the squiggly dance and the walmart chant and all that stuff and i'm thinking hey I'm not even awake yet, man. Like this is they're <laughs> they're intense, and I imagine you guys did it out in Bentonville every day, right before every shift. Uh, a little Walmart no, song. Did we, you guys do that? Uh, we only had to do it whenever we made visits. Man, but... I'm calling. I'm calling Bentonville. That's some BS <laughs> right there, dude. Like four in the morning, guys that are not even awake yet had probably three hours of sleep, and we're having to do a little like they're doing little squiggly dances, right? W A L oh, squiggly yeah. Martin. Like get and out of town with this. Oh yeah. Now, what was crazy though was that so I I got that job and I started training. So when I trained, it was like seven to four. I was like, okay, this is early, but it's not that bad. And so I thought, you know, those kind of hours. Well, naive, just graduated Josh was introduced to the graveyard shift. Get out of town. So after I trained, I was thrown immediately to six PM to 5 a.m. Mm -mm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, kidding. Uh-uh. So you check life check, flips upside down. So I'll go from a normal schedule to now at this point, I'm going to bed at about seven in the morning because it takes me a while to kind of wind down. So then I'm waking up at about two, about two o'clock, eating breakfast about 2:30. I'd go work out at three, come home, shower. Um, and then like five o'clock, you're starting to get your stuff ready. And as you know, that horrible traffic is coming out of town, you're driving into town. And uh, <laughs> so you're, you're going to work, you, you're getting everything pulled up, you're ready to go at 6 p.m. And you're taking your lunch break, 12.30, 1 a.m., <laughs> and at this point, the 24-hour menu at, 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 at McDonald's was not available. So 
<laughs> you're so desperate trying to find places to get lunch. You're looking at Waffle House, IHOPs. Uh, if you no. got off before midnight, you might go bell. Uh, so it like changed my whole life around. Well, and and Ben, yeah, Benville. If people don't know, is is pretty pretty damn conservative, right? Like I'm pretty sure it's a dry county. Maybe yes. maybe I'm wrong. Okay, and so I, I have never heard of that. No, I neither did I. Dry County. Neither did so I. I mean, I the like, first time I did, I was like, I'm never going to Arkansas again. I'm just not doing it. Like, <laughs> it's changed I'm now. But we got to, there. But... And I was like, oh, man, it's a tough day. I want to go grab. So I got to the gas nope. station. Thing. I was going to grab a beer, go home. Yeah, they didn't have that. And yeah, no. so. You got to nearest... drive to the next county, pal. Oh, no. I, I jumped the state line and went to Missouri. <laughs> because... Oh, Tax was cheaper, and I'm like, "Wait, what's your sales tax? Three percent, dude? I'm there." So <laughs> right, that's crazy. I'll tell you what. State line and doing the that. First time I experienced that, I was at a soccer tournament, and uh, same thing. You know, you go, "Okay, cool. Like we just did all this. I'm tired. Let's get a nice, cool beer." Going like, "Oh no, I'm sorry. We don't. We don't serve that here. Are you?" what is this? Is this Nazi Germany? I don't understand what's happening right now, but anyway, that said, so you find yourself out in Benville. Now, where in that time frame, Josh, did you meet your wife to be? Okay. So as much as I make fun of social media, sometimes <laughs> how my wife and I reconnect. Dude, you, you um, so- keep your head up. You keep your head up. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Beat yourself up over the fact that it was through social media. Go ahead. Come on now. Yeah. Men, so I posted some pics of me and some uh, some of my best friends from college because one of them's getting married, and I was his best man. So posted it, and uh, my wife Rachel got on, and she saw some of the pictures, and she was like, "Oh man, I haven't seen him or talked to him in years. Let me see what he's doing." So we get to talking, and she's like, "Well, I'm going to be in Tulsa that same weekend." that you're going to be at your wedding as a, I'm going to be at my best friend's wedding as a maid of honor. So right then, like I should have known something was kind of weird about this. So I was like, well, Hey, can I take you out while we're there? And she was like, no. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, so wait a minute. You talked about how you're excited, want to connect this, that, and the other, but you're going to tell me, no, that's lame. What are you doing? Oh man. Okay. And so then I, I kind of avoided the failure because I didn't want to address it. And right. she was, and then she, and she was like, hey, um, you know, yeah, it'd be fun for us to hang out. You know, we have a lot to talk about. And so let's, yeah, let's hang out. And so I was like, okay, she's, uh, she's one of those girls I'm going to have to really impress with this one. So right. I was like, well, I'll tell you what, um, I'm going to, I, I got this whole for us and, you know, I hope you'd be down for it. And she was like, okay, I'm game. So I get tickets to Fit in Tulsa. And oh, I was like, pulling out all the stops. I'm like, I'm like, look, if you're going to swing, swing for the fences and make sure the bases are loaded, baby. Cause you're going to, you got to score here. It's going to be a big one. So, I, so we, we go, uh, so we both finish our, our weddings, you know, and uh, we talk. Okay, yeah, let's connect. Let's... So, 
the date was supposed to be that night, but she was like, "Well, hey, I'm I'm up early. Do you want to grab breakfast?" So then we end up spending the day like going shopping, hanging out, and then we go to um, the Phantom of the Opera that night. Well, she's like, standing in town. I'm like, it was Sunday night. And then she's yeah. like, well, I am too. So you want to hang out tomorrow? So that one ask turned into base of just us being together. Very cool. It, it's basically a three-day day. And we were getting ready to leave. And she was going back to Oklahoma City. And I was like, well, real big on kissing on the first day. And she was like, well, if it lasts all weekend, is it really just the first date? And I was like, mm. good point. So we, we, we had our first kiss. And at that point, not to sound sappy, but man, I just knew at that point, I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't really want to chase girls anymore. Like, I'm done. Right. This is one day. And so we basically together ever since that weekend. And we just celebrated... 13 years together, 12 years married, June. Well, first off, congratulations on that. I do want to ask, though, so you said you kind of reconnected through social media. Did you know her before this? Yes. How did you guys meet previously? You you remember where uh, Mike and Dustin King, like where their house was, right? Yep. On that on that neighborhood or in that neighborhood, because we, we were a street down and they were like at the end of another street. Well, in I'm between there, there right? was a house. He used to babysit at that house. OK. And so she babysat there like probably whenever she made me like 10. And she was the same school year as my old who's older than than Bobby, um, my brother. So. Yeah, she was older, and I knew her. I was just, and yeah. So we we've known each other since then. You're 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 batting up a higher uh, percentage than than you let on. So she's older than you. Well done. Five years. Well done. Says a lot. And uh, you've been together for thirteen years. Twelve twelve married. Right. So that says so much about the two of you because nowadays i mean obviously the divorce rate is what it is but it's not easy you know like i said you reconnected through social media in my opinion social media for relationships can absolutely be cancer and it's not easy i mean it's not easy and you know i've 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 seen enough you know we all get into that trap of you know you see somebody on social media you see what they're doing or what they're posting you're like oh josh is doing well cool but you don't reach out Right. There have been numerous times throughout the years where I've seen you and other friends and I thought, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Looks like they're doing well. Life is going in a good direction, but you don't reach out. And I think that's something that, that is a shame. And, and again, kind of go back to point the credit is, is that you guys have stuck it out from an early age where people are really cutting their teeth still. Cause you don't know what the hell you're doing at 25, right? No. You don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm 39, man. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I have, you know, I have to say that's, that's big. And from that, you know, people listening, what have you, what have you really learned in that process when it comes to how to respect and honor and love and cherish your wife 
through the ups and downs and, and how has that process changed you? Wow. Um, heard this and it, it sticks with me probably each and every year that I think about it. So you have the family that God gave you and that you chose yeah and you have to remember that when you make that choice be all or nothing like you got to be fully committed to it uh reason being is because you know you have to love your wife like christ loved the church and uh you know christ died for the church that was his bride and so knowing that and knowing what I had seen in parents' marriage, how I saw things happen all around our family. But it was always a moment of mom and dad looking at each other and saying, you got me and I got you. We can make this thing work. And that was kind of always their mindset. That was kind of always what they showed us is, hey, stuff is going to happen around our family and we're going to love them and support them. But at the end of the day, we got to keep this house locked up as far as we're going to always stay together. We're going to always fight it out and we're going to always have each other's backs. And so knowing that I had to have that whenever I met anyone and, you know, as we got together, there was a lot of things that didn't really want us to be together. There was a lot of things that kind of were a struggle for us to even, you know, get married, but we decided after that first date, we were like, look, this is what it is. No matter if we have to wait a year, it doesn't matter if we have to wait two years, this is what it's going to be. And um, now I want to unfold that. I want to unfold that a little bit, Josh, because you kind of, you kind of touching around it. And and we talked about this on the phone, not that long ago. Um, As you know, people listening, you know, Josh has already mentioned he's a person of color. Your wife is white. And that is something that was a struggle for you guys, Um, not for you guys personally, but on the outside, you know, and again, I think that's something that is, we had talked before you're having to not only safeguard a relationship in a, in a society where you're, you're just as likely to fail as you are to succeed in that relationship. But then you add in this this extra element where you almost have a society of, you know, or a group of people in society that they don't want to see you do well simply because you don't look the same as them or they don't yeah. look the same as you. That challenge is something that, you know, for me, I I see that you're not the first person I've heard that's had to overcome that or deal with it. That challenge itself, what what are some of the things that you really had to go through that you guys had to work through with that? Uh, Cause man, I think anybody listening that may be in the same circumstance, that, that part of your story, I think is, is drastically important, especially with everything that's going on nowadays. Yeah. Um, honestly, it was one of those things to where we're so different and not just from the perspective of man, woman, black, white. Like she grew up in a 
in, in a family where, you know, they talked politics. They, they you know, talked about current events happening around the world. That wasn't who my family was. Because as we always saw that stuff is, man, it's, the world is a jacked up place. It doesn't matter if you're in Oklahoma. It doesn't matter if you're in California. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, overseas somewhere. The world is imperfect. So, happened. And we were such a sports-driven family. Like, our family literally moved from sport to sport, depending on what season I was in, what season my brother was in. So, you know, um, the current events thing was never really my bag. It wasn't what I was into. Um, And I kind of had to learn how to understand her, but invite her into mine. So a lot of, you know, a lot of open, candid conversations where it was just like, look, I don't know what this means. What are they talking about? Or what is this? And so we spent, we had to educating each other on what that meant. Um, I come from a very big family. She doesn't come from a very big family. Like my dad is one of, I believe seven and my mom's one of nine. So the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, like it's a big room of people. Um, For her, it's, it's, you know, these people had one or two kids and they had one kid, they had two kids. So it's very, it's much smaller. Um, and her family, like, you know, they, they are very uh, proper and, and, you know, they, they're not very loud and, you know, they weren't big hugging people like my family, like we'll, Polar we'll, opposite. Push, we'll <laughs> push like 12 people out of the way just to hug somebody's neck. And right. so like whenever we were dating, even it was weird for her to come over and, and see my family because dad would hug and kiss her on the cheek. Mom would hug, kiss her on the cheek brother would give her a hug uh aunts and uncles would give her hugs she just was not used to that and so i go to her family and like i tried to hug somebody and it was definitely like a hey we don't do that here like don't no please don't (laughs) like wait what and so it was very weird because like i remember i tried to hug someone in her family and you would have thought that like i was a linebacker hitting a defenseless quarterback like deer in the headlights kind of look like they were right. just almost like taken back by it. And so it was uh, like, those were all just like cultural things that we had to just adjust to. Right. And so we kind of had to learn how to, how to safely and, and, and slowly kind of push those two worlds to kind of, to kind of come together and not just put them on a collision course because right. we're like, if we can make this gradual, more people will come into the fold a lot faster than if we just say, well, this is what they do. Well, this is what they do. Let's do that. And so we kind of had to do things slowly and kind of build our own traditions and, you know, do things kind of how we saw fit necessarily just my family does, or that's what her family does. But it's like, okay, but this isn't about your family or my family. It's about our family. So how are we going to do this? And so we kind of took some things from, and you know kind of went from there so you know there's certain things like we always go visit her family at christmas because my family gets thanksgiving and if you haven't had you know a margaret dot thanksgiving there's a big void in your life but um i'm coming this year by the way so like that was always like a thing cooks 
for probably on average 20 to 30 people because like we have a lot of family friends that just pop. Right. We treat them like aunts and uncles. And I've always looked at them like aunts and uncles. And for her, it's like very much like smaller family settings and that kind of thing. But that's kind of what was cool was that she got to really understand the love of my family because we don't know many strangers and we don't really turn people away. And so you're going to get hugged like you were born into the family. You're going to get treated like you're born into the family. But at the same time, like, you know, one of the things that my parents were big on was accountability. So they're going to hold you accountable. Like you were born into the family. So, you know, they might have a conversation with you like, Hey, you know, I know this and this is going on there. You know, I'm here if you need me, but at the same time, like understand, I, I know where this could head for you and I really don't want. So it's very like loving but still firm, like, hey, I want, I want you, you know, no matter what. And so that was kind of a cool thing that uh, she got to experience. And then for my, for, um, you know, just understanding her family and, and how the dynamic was different, but it's still love and they're still family. It's just a different dynamic. Right. Now, was there any time with that, that the, the acceptance aspect of it was a challenge or was it really more of just putting those two worlds together because your family is charismatic. They're fun people. You know, I mean, I obviously speak of your mom, your dad, and your brother outside of that, you know, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I imagine there, I mean, the charisma is high, the energy is high, you know, was there were there challenges as far as when you first started letting people know that you guys were dating and that this thing was was going places like hey dad i know your family is just you know they're phenomenal they're accepting and and very loving people but was there a challenge in that aspect at the start as well uh not um i didn't bring women home to meet my parents and so like when dinner and I brought Rachel with me um, I remember I sent my mom a text and I was like hey what do you think and mom and dad were in the car and mom kind of got a little tear in her eye and she was like that's the one he's gonna marry and so she kind of already knew dad already dad felt it because he's like this is like this 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 has a daughter vibe like whenever she's around and right. so he kind of already let me know that up front, but she she knew whenever I brought her home the first time, she just knew. And I think with her parents, um, I think they knew something was serious. I don't think they really knew necessarily how serious it was going. I think her mom might have knew more. Than but um, before we got engaged, I actually did the old school thing and I sat down with both of them because her parents were actually divorced. So I went to two different houses and I had the sit down conversation with both of them. And uh, I I talked to her dad. I was like, Hey, um, you know how I feel about your daughter. I love her dearly. And I want her to be my wife. And he was like, you got no complaints from me, kid. I like you. I think you're a great guy. I know you come from a stand up family, you know, the way she should be. Um, her mom was super funny about it because I remember I talked to her mom and I was like, Hey, you know, I want to, I, I, I want Rachel to be my wife and you know, I'm coming here for your blessing. 
And I'm thinking like, I'm going to have this really cool, like moment where it's going to be like, Oh, that's so sweet. That's this, that's that. And her mom looked me in the face and she goes, are you sure? Cause she's real selfish and just starts laughing. And I was like, <laughs> okay, on, so now I see what I'm watching. It's going right. to be. But, you know, knowing how they felt and I was up front with them about it, I never tried to pull punches. I never tried uh, facades or any of that. It was always, you know, I'm going to be pretty straight up. with. I wasn't raised to to put on facades like it is what it is. I'm going to tell you how how I feel. But, you know, uh, if if I feel this strongly about your daughter, like I'm going to let you. Uh, and see that right there, man. Is, that that right there is we start talking about what it is to be to be a man. That's a great, great story for for any dude that listens to go. You want respect, you give respect, and we can call what you did old school, whatever moniker you want to put to that. But that's legitimately a man that carries himself with respect, saying, "Hey." this is just the right thing to do, right? This is your daughter. This is your daughter that I'm saying I'm going to commit to, to take care of for the rest of her life and step in to take over that protector role from you, sir. And that's something that I think people get, guys get confused and women too, as far as start talking about masculinity, man, that move right there is masculine. That's what a man should do. I mean, I say that, probably too much as far as what a man should do but when we start talking about breaking down what's right a moral foundation to say this is this is something bigger than myself and we step out and we give respect to get respect right you carry yourself in a way to give respect as well and that that to me that move is again i don't know too many people and several of my friends have just gotten married. I don't know how many of them have gone to that woman's parents, to that woman's father and said, Hey, I'm essentially asking for your blessing. So that said, so you guys, you said, you know, you were out in Bentonville, you did the Bentonville thing. He said she was in Oklahoma city. Yes. So, we so when did you guys first... link up as far as well, being in the same spot? So, <laughs> It was on our one year anniversary of being married. We lived apart oh, wow. for our first year of marriage. She lived Oklahoma City. I lived Arkansas. And we would just travel on weekends. Who had availability? Um, that's whose house we went to. So we were living out of in Arkansas. We were her place in Oklahoma City. And so we were going back and forth for a year. And inside of that year, um, our first Christmas as a married couple, uh, she actually was pregnant and we didn't know. Uh, yeah. And so she kept saying, I, I feel weird. I feel weird. And we got to new year's and she was like, you know, it's just feel weird. And I was like, well, are you okay? And, you know, anyone who's, um, a kid, you know, as little Wayne, best, best uh, phrase that you get that I think I'm late text. And you're like, Hey, <laughs> you're late to what? Like you're late to work. And she was like, no, I'm late. And I was like, um, oh, yeah. Boy. So what's, what do we do? And she's like, well, I'm going to go take a pregnancy test. 
need you to take a couple of them because I need a shirt. <laughs> Like we're yeah, barely absolutely. married and not, you're barely married. Like, you know, I'm cool with you calling me daddy, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to have a little kid call me daddy. Like, this is weird. I'm not ready. And sure enough, you know, pregnant. And on our one year anniversary was the start of her third trimester. And we moved in together and then we had our son two and a half months later. It's oh, awesome. I'll so tell you what, I, there's, there's nothing that will that will wake your ass up quicker than one, like you said, that I'm late text. And then the confirmation, like, hey, no, this is real deal. <clears throat> we've got yeah. we've got another human on the way that you're gonna be in charge of to keep alive. For sure. And and the craziest part about that was like, so in order for me to for us to be together, um, and this is kind of this this was kind of a huge milestone for me was uh I said, you know, I want us to be together. He's like, cool. Here's how you're going to provide. You know, that job that you, you know, you're excited about, you know, I need you to quit because you're going to move to be with her. You know, that house that you bought that you were like, you know, can't wait to buy my first house. Yeah, you're going to have to sell it because you said you wanted to be committed to her. So you got to be where she's at. And right. so um, I learned at early in our marriage what it meant for me to provide and to sacrifice. And, you know, as men, we always think of it as the physical as far as work, labor, paycheck, whatever. But for me, my sacrifice, my provision, being there. And so I had to give up a lot of the, you know, oh man, I want to make X amount of money and do this and this and this. I had to give that up because I had a wife that I was newly married. I had a baby who was on the way that, you know, I wanted my kid to know who their dad was and be actively active, if that's even a real thing. I wanted to be there for everything. I wanted to be there for, I wanted to be there for, you know, first words, I wanted to be there for all that. And so I, I was a stay at home parent for our first, for my son's first eight months, he was alive. That's awesome. I stayed home, I changed the diaper, dinner, I washed clothes, I did all that. Um, and, you know, it is just one of those things to where it, it made sense, we could do it and still live somewhat comfortably. You know, we were just going to trust God regardless because we were already in unknown territory, just being married and having a kid and all these things. Like, I mean, I went from being so naive, like I people would talk about, like, oh, you know, I talk to so I talk to my spouse whenever they're in the bathroom. I'm like, no, I don't. I shut the door. Like, I leave. I don't we don't need to talk. Right. I agree. And to this day, it's still. It's still weird when people are like, yeah, we talk while so-and-so's here. I'm like, no, if I'm in the bathroom, I don't want to talk. <laughs> Shut no, the door. I agree, we'll with, I agree with that 100%. I agree with let that 100%. My, no let me have my phone games. Let me have my YouTubes. Let That's me my just. time. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me unwind here. <laughs> let, let me, let me, let me, memes here. Like, let me have my meme time. Absolutely. But, uh, I'm adjusting to all of this. And so it was like, man, I'm truly like 
whenever I said I commit my life to this, it was put up or shut up. And as a man, I had to put up because it was like, look, I got to make it happen. Dude, it's, it's crazy what having a child will do to a guy. You know, for myself, I, I, I don't understand those parents that don't want to be involved, right? They're about, you know, presence and not present. And, that and that's, me is- that right there, that, that preaches so loud because it's like, man, there's something great about, or there's something good about getting, but whenever you can be present, there's nothing, there's no gift can replace that. Like no, even- there's nothing there's nothing more meaningful in my time with my kids than making those little moments and it can be as simple as just being outside kicking the ball around it can be you know the moments sitting there on the couch watching a movie eating some popcorn right yeah. it's it's the fact that and i've said this multiple times on over the years and on this podcast that what kids know is kids know love Right. Absolutely. There's not there's there's no other formula to it than that. Right. And so to be involved, to be there, I same line of thought. The first time I saw my son, I said, I want to be a part of every second. I don't want to miss a second. Unfortunately, life had different plans. But now here we are. And when I look at what I'm doing and I, you know, see the the dads that they go, Hey, my job is I provide the house. I provide the food. I provide, you know, all that monetary. And then maybe I'm the authoritarian, maybe I'm the disciplinarian and they're missing what actually builds that relationship. Yeah. And and they're, they're missing the part where you go, I'm helping you learn how to adapt to this world, how to grow in this world and how to take it on. And as a, as a man to a son, that portion of that piece of it is so crucial to that young man's growth, to that young man's walk. And we have to provide that example, plain and simple. We do. And I think that that's the thing that I think as men, sometimes if we get so caught up in trying to provide the monetary, then we allow we allow so many of the wrong influences to come into our kids' lives. Like we allow social media to raise them. We allow TikTok to raise them. We allow, um, you know, literally influencers influence in their life whenever we should be the biggest influence in their life. And, you know, I, I will never knock single parents ever. I, I've seen the struggle that they go through and I've seen the hustle and I see how they work and bleed and sweat for their kids. And that commended because they're not giving up no matter what their situation may be. Hey, we're co-parenting, but you know what? For those that co-parent and can do it the right way, that kid's going to see that, you know what? Things didn't work out with mom and dad, but guess what? Neither one of them gave up on me just because it didn't work out. Yeah. And that's the thing, obviously, for my spot, you know, co-parenting is is a challenge. And it, you know, I'm, you know, for my kids sake, you know, it, it it's tough, man. I mean, it breaks my heart because what I want them to see is what healthy parenting looks like. What I want them to see is a 
happy, spiritually led, successful father and mother. And, you know, fortunately life takes different turns. We make mistakes and it's very easy for that to happen. But at the end of the day, these kids don't choose us and ask to be with you, right? They're not a burden. You know, I, I see too often parents are, are you know, my opinion, they're missing it because they need, oh, I need the me time, the most of moms and, you know, the, the wanting to be able to go out every weekend. And look, in a relationship with you together, it's important to get that time, right? That, oh. that alone time away from the little people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that your kids are not a damn burden. No. And I see too many guys, I see too many dads, one, fighting a very hypocritical system, a very behind the times system when it comes to courts. But I also look at it and go, the numbers don't lie. It's 43% of American homes are fatherless. Our boys are being raised by women and credit to the women, but they need men. Absolutely. And I don't just mean by the genetical part that makes you a man. I mean the moral, spiritual foundation that makes you a man, the action that makes you a man, because there's not any more of those, those, those rites and passages for our boys. So when I see you with your son, I see the fishing trips. I see the memories that you're making, right? The things that you're including him in. Which is huge because I can tell you right now, I don't remember what I got for my 12th birthday, but I can tell you that I remember the time my dad took me camping and tried to kill a tarantula with off. Didn't work. Oh, I know that. Didn't, <laughs> didn't work. But I can no. see it right now at 39 years old, 31 years later. I can still see that like it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. So my point is, it's the time that you share and create. And that sounds so simple, but we miss it. We miss it far too often, man. And I know that becoming a dad absolutely changed you. And that window to the world all of a sudden became way bigger, right? Yeah. You almost drop off things, right? Like the insecurities, the doubts, you go, no, no, no. I got to step up. This little dude is watching. And I've seen you do that. I see it in your, your social media. I see it whenever I talk to you. And, you know, with, with what you're doing, you know, each day with your family. I mean, again, it's not common. It's not common. So from there, you know, we, we start talking about, you have your son in that time frame. you talked about God said, Hey, you need to be where she's at. You stay home. You get to be Mr. Mom for, for eight months. And, you know, I jealous of that. I mean, I get to raise my boys every day, but, um, it'd just be amazing to be able to just spend every second with your kid. Right. So that said, when did you start feeling a pull? Like, Hey, I need to do a little bit more. Like God's calling me for something. I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I, I hear it all the way, but I'm also not hundred percent sure. I want to accept it. God, I think you've got the wrong number. When did that happen? So whenever, so this goes back to like my tabbing. I was in college um, I volunteered a lot of my time in church and the church that I was a part of was big with college kids. And it was kind of slowly integrating itself into the community of Stillwater, but it was growing. It was, it was still small. It was mobile. It was inside of this little uh, um, elementary school, but 
there was a buzz it was growing and i was like man these i'm seeing it that thing people young and old and of all ages like i want to be able to do that i want to be able to have that kind of impact in my church and so i i served three and a half years of my of my time served at the church uh, and so whenever i moved away i found another church and i was getting integrated there and 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 else and then whenever i went back to Oklahoma city i was like okay this is the church that I, I was a part of in college i know this is in a this is a new campus but part it's like i i want to i want to be able to help and a friend of mine's like well you know you're younger like you're relevant you're easy to talk to have you thought about like doing youth ministry and i was like not really because i didn't have a youth like a lot of kids did that you know, we're at Bartlesville churches. I didn't have a, and so, you know, God kind of put it on my heart that, you know, you can be what you didn't have and you can be that, that male influence in a kid's life that may not have a male influence. And as right. I'm like, but God, but God, like I have a son, like I'm influencing his life. And he's like, yeah, but I can put more in you to share and to love and to impact people and still be, a great father. And I was like, how does this work? And so God kind of put it on my heart. He challenged me with it. And I had opportunities where, you know, I was talking to kids. All these kids didn't have dads around. They didn't really have men in their life. And some of them were kind of caught up in gang life. And I was like, man, honest with you, bro, like where you're going doesn't end well. And right. they'd be like, well, you know, you're doing this and this. And I said, well, you know, your life, your life is about your choices and everything that you do, everything that you end up with comes down to the choices you make. And if you're not making the right choices, then you can't expect to have the right life. So, and they've been like, well, 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 you know, but what if so-and-so judges me? What if my, what if people don't, you know, they think differently of me? I said, dude, I'm a stay at home dad. You don't think I get judged? Get fingers pointing and, you know, walking around with the baby strapped to my chest, walking around the neighborhood, like here, because at the end of the day, I care about how that boy turns out, not how they accept me because they're never going to accept me. And that's something that, you know, you can't, you can't make everybody happy, right. but, but those that God has put in front of you, you, you can do your best for them because that's really what it's about is you got to You have to, you have to, as a man and as, you know, as a tribe leader, you have to worry about those that are in immediate people around you. If, if you can't affect them, then it's going to be hard for you to affect anybody else. If you can't impact them, you can't impact anybody else. So your focus has to be strictly on, man, if God's given them to me, then I got to impact them. I got to bring, I got to, I got to be that, that, that example that to say, man, for your life, start. And yeah, it might feel like I set the bar high, but you know what? I'm also giving you a head start I didn't have. I'm going to want more from you. I'm going to push more out of you because ultimately, you know, the best coaches are the ones that get the best out of their players. Right. And so as a, as a dad, as a leader, those who lead the best are the ones who can get the most out of those they're leading. 
And so you've really got to be, I had to learn how to be intentional with my time that I wasn't spending so much time serving that I was missing out on, you know, my being a, being a dad, being a husband. And so I kind of got into this rhythm where I was able to impact students, but also still be, you know, <clears throat> family. And so now you this know. this church that you that you started started helping with now was this in the Oklahoma City area or was this in, I mean was this was this OKC that you're talking about? Uh yes. Yes it was. And I will say I mean oh, you know I used to live in the Oklahoma City area. It's nice, but there are definitely some elements of Oklahoma City as any any big town any big city uh, that are not very safe, that are not very nice. And you don't want to find yourself at the wrong IHOP at that, you know, at certain times of the night. But your view on, you know, like to, to get the best out of a player, that's what great coaches do. That's a very complex thing that, that for people listening that have never coached, that have never tried to be a leader it's a very complex issue that we've kind of made sound simple because in that you have to understand that person's dynamic. You have to understand what moves that person in positive ways and negative ways. And we start looking at, like you said, you've got some kids coming from, from rough backgrounds, right? Yeah. And you can, you know, probably speak on this better than I can, but they're, can be an ideology whenever you come from a, a, a tougher background that life is going to be harder for you, that the, the um, stakes are stacked up against you, if you will. Yeah. You had to break through that barrier to these kids to say, well, you have a choice. You, you have options, right? Here's how I can show you these options. I'm here for you if you if you decide to take it, right? Yeah. To, to get that trust, you have to be able to figure out that person, to be able to coach them, to be able to get the best out of them. Because you might be able to come to me and give me a hoorah speech and I'm all fired up, ready to go. Whereas somebody else, that's not gonna work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I so, think a lot of that a lot of that comes from just you if you're going to lead someone. You got to learn, you have to learn who they are. Now you're, you're always looking at them for what they can be and you're always seeing their potential, but you also have to deal with them, speak with them and love them where they're at now. And hard because a lot of times, depending on your personality type, if you're a pusher, you want to push them from a to F in, in a, in a minute's time, whenever in actuality, like you have may even recreate the whole board for that person because one, they may not see themselves that way. And two, you could not see them for who they really are. Because again, whenever you lead, most of your leadership has to come through authenticity and has to come through both you being transparent and there and them being transparent. Cause it's hard to lead someone if I don't know all your weaknesses. Right. But I got, I got to know your weaknesses because your weaknesses, then I can build on your strengths and I can get, and, and, and I can, I can help bring people in that can address your weaknesses, but more importantly, we can build those strengths. 
But I think that so many times uh, we're quicker to respond than we are to listen. And a real leader will always listen to what someone before they have a response or a battle plan or anything. So you have to be as much of a student as you are a teacher in order to really lead people and to lead uh, most effectively. Absolutely. And the, the deal with understanding somebody's what drives them, what's push, what pushes them again, it's a complex thing because you've got to not only understand what makes them tick and you're, you're coming at it from a standpoint where it's in the church. It's around faith and, and faith is a very tricky beast to understand for a lot of people. Yeah. But when you, when you start dissecting some of these people, it, the unfortunate thing, and I've seen this through the, through the 10 years that I spent coaching, there is a real thing called poor man's mentality. Yes. And some of these people get caught in that web and they feel a sense of duty. Some of it is cultural. Some of it is just the, the, I don't want to use the word manipulation, but the manipulation of that family to that family member. And it keeps them in that spot. I've seen it far too often. It's absolutely heartbreaking. So when you start talking about, Oh, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to help change this person. I'm going to be a great leader for this person. You do have to understand where they're coming from. And for somebody like me, I'm telling you over the years that I've spent traveling around the country, whether it's being in the military, whether it was coaching and what I'm doing now, I realize, I realize quickly, very quickly, how naive and how much of a bubble it was that I grew up in. And where you're at, as far as the kids that you're getting to impact daily, you might just be the best part of their day. Absolutely. Because again, in fact, one one of one of my mentors, uh, he something he reminds me of constantly is, man, you and it's it's again this sounds super cliche, but it's so true. You may be the only Bible someone reads that day, so are you worth absolutely? So with that, you start you start getting this this push for you to be in the ministry. We've already kind of stepped into that. Hey, we're doing this now. You're you're at People's Church, correct? I'm at church now. At at now. this time, I was at another church. Um, at this point, now, how scared shitless were you whenever the the church came to you or the the individual that came to you and said, "Hey, what do you think about doing youth ministry?" What was that challenge like? How did that process unfold to where you you actually said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from A to F. What what do I need to do? How did that look? And and what were the thoughts that you were struggling with leading into that? I mean, I think with any with any good self aware person, a bit of insecurity that hits you whenever someone wants you to step into a leadership role that you've never done, never thought about, or never experienced. So it's like, hey, that all sounds great. What does it mean? How am I going to do this? And he's like, man, I'm going to start you super slow. And then as I see that you're ready for more, I'm going to give you more. But I'm not going to put more until we both either see that you're ready 
or the opportunity just has to happen. And so this is a series of conversations. This is a series of like us walking through things. Um, like it was even to the point to where like this, this guy was listening in on my conversations as I'm talking to male students. And he's like, hey, try to encourage them with, don't necessarily hit them with this so much, but give them some, give them action steps, give them something that they can walk away with and that they can say, man, he challenged me to do this. Don't let them just accept where they are right now. Open their eyes to get them to see that there is more to them than, quote, more to them than, man, I live in the hood. This is what it is. Like, get them to see that their world can be a whole lot bigger if they're willing to believe and they're willing to be bold and say, I want <clears throat> different. I don't want what right in front of me like i want something more and as we started to have those conversations and things were happening slowly but surely more and more responsibility was kind of being given to me and opportunities were being given to me and i was like man i i, I love this like i don't i don't want to stop and for me i thought because again school i wasn't the biggest reader i wasn't always the best student but this was something that I found myself constantly wanting to read about, learn about, watch, experience, uh, give feedback to, um, get feedback, like receive it and give it. And it, it, it became to me that it was like, I don't, I don't want this to stop with just, a. I want to do this. I, I, it, it's, it's, it became such a, it became such a passion for me to the point where it was like, man, I could do this every day, all day. And I would be so excited about it. Right. And that was where it hit me just, just like it would for a coach. Like I know for you as a coach, probably still could go watch little kids play soccer and say, man, that kid's got potential. This kid's got this skill set right here, man. If someone really could help develop this within this kid, boy, he's going to be something special when he gets older. It's the same way for, it was that same way for me as, as I was coming into this role for ministry was that I was seeing kids and I was like, man, this kid is so special and they don't even get why. I want to show them why. I want to show them why they matter. I want to show them why they think it's so weird that they, and nobody else does. It's because they have a special gift in them that the world needs to see. And honestly, it's because the world isn't seeing this gift. That's why they feel like there's this void in their life because they've got to let that gift out. They've got to develop Absolutely. it. They've got to get prepared and then they've got to unleash it because the world needs it. And it, that level of just fire and excitement and passion that made me just want to say, man, I want to minister to students all the time. And I still feel that way. I felt this way. God, years ago, like even in college, I felt that way dealing with, you know, middle school kids and high school kids. That passion never left me after all these years. I still will have a conversation with a teenager and you know what? Here's what I see in them. Here's what's special about them. Here's what's really unique. And I think that, you know, they could really be special if they did this or had this opportunity or whatever it may be. And it just, it just and I mean, now here I am, what, seven, 
off and on, um, still loving ministry, still loving people. Dude, you got me all tingly over here because it is 100% the, the greatest feeling in a position of leadership. And let me backtrack on that. What you do in the ministry is honestly not far removed from what it's like coaching. It's the same thing. You're teaching someone else essentially a skill set, a way of life. And in that, the biggest thing that you're, you're doing is you're giving that, that, that kid a reason to believe. Absolutely. Giving that kid an identity that now he can start to build that self-confidence. And I got to tell you right now, one of my favorite things – one of my favorite things to see. Signing day. Uh, Those kids that you work with, they are sitting there in front of you signing that college. You have to pretend, right? It's not actual, but they're signing that contract, that agreement, right? To go off and get a higher education while doing the sport that they love, that you helped or had a little piece in to get them there. But, that self-belief in saying, I see this in you, you've got something special, or you've got this ability, right? It's no different than you with a child at church, a teenager at church, a young man, a young woman at church to say, this is where you could really go. I feel like this is where God is giving you this opportunity. You just have to see it. You just have to understand it. And I've said this before, Josh. I think one of the gr- most gross phrases that we use with kids today is, and people in general, but especially kids, is you have so much potential. I have said this, and I still believe it. Potential is such a dirty word if we know it and we try to pull it out of people. Here's how I say it. It's potential with directive, right? So I think you have so much potential, Josh to be a great leader because you're well-spoken, you're intelligent, you carry yourself in a way that just, it commands it, right? Like, I don't look at you and go, you're a clown. I might look at some of my other buddies and go, <laughs> come on, bro, you know, like, get it together. But that's there. And I say, Josh, what do you think about that? Have you thought about this? Because I think there is that potential there because of what I see. So here's a little guidance for you to think about, for you to chew on. My son came home and said, a teacher told him you got so much potential. I said, what did she say? In what? Uh, no. No, I, I hate I, to do that. I didn't, I didn't understand what she meant, statement. Dad. I'm like, no, because it's stupid as hell. Don't tell her I said that, but it's stupid as hell. Like, get that out of your freaking vocabulary. Get that out of anything that you're doing whenever you're somebody that is trying to impact somebody else, unless you're going to pr- provide directive and that's something that so many of us miss when it comes to the people that are in front of us the people that we are trying to support and I say us I mean people that are coaching or in the ministry as a youth minister whether it's a manager at Walmart (laughs) you know it's like these are all responsibilities that you have to understand and that you have to take on and guess what the part that I didn't say or the title I didn't say is it's the same thing if you're a father. It's the same thing if you're a parent. Yeah. You've got to understand your child. My oldest uh, is vastly different than my youngest. I don't see, think for my me, kids more, but 
I did when I was younger, when I was a younger man. Yeah. My youngest, he was ready to fight back because it's violence. It's violence. He said, you know, and I'll meet your violence with violence. So we don't do that. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah. well, no, we but I mean going along that same going along that same lines, I mean, my son is vastly different than me. Like I was sports, I was physical contact, I was violence, I was all that. Part of it was because Bobby Dodd Jr., my brother, didn't give me a choice. He's like, look, if you're my little brother, you better know how to handle yourself. But the other part of that was just I I craved it. Like I loved it. My son is not a sport. That was hard for me to accept. Oh yeah. But he is a computer and a tech genius. I remember whenever my son first was showing, actually I first learned about TikTok and I was like, this is kind of weird. It's kind of dumb. But then like my son picked it up. And my wife's like, yeah, I downloaded it because he, you know, has to do this for a project. My son had like four or five different special effects in his video. He cut and edited himself. Did I'm going to need to talk to him. I'm going to need to talk to him so he can set up my webpage, buddy. I was like, Matt, how did you do that? He goes, oh, dad, it's easy. Just let me show your phone. You see this icon up here? You tap that, you do this, and walks me through. Like, this is who he is. Right. He's not physical. He's not this brute small man syndrome guy like his dad was. Still is. Um, but he is he is very much like a thinker and he's he's a he's a puzzle piece guy. He kind of goes together and he can put together stuff. And so like he started, you know, there for a while. He gets well, he goes through phases where he'll like to shoot. Sometimes he could go through and he likes to just take a video and just edit it up. Uh, it's just, it's, it's in who he is. He likes the computer work. Um, my wife and I, like we, we're thinking probably in the next year or two, he's probably, so we're going to put him into, put him into a, a camp or a class where he can kind of learn coding. He likes to cook. He likes, you know, these are all things he enjoys doing, but, for me as his father, as the leader, it's not up to me to change him. It's up to me to encourage him and to put the gas on that fire for him to do that and do it on a greater scale than just, well, I kind of like nobody, like you have a gift and let's work on this. Let's, let's see where this goes. And so like, whenever he goes to see my, my mom, he goes in the kitchen and like, dude can legit make pies and, like cakes and things like that with her and he loves doing it and so i'm like i've had to change my my approach because i i wanted him to be me but at the same time we all have to understand that for that for each one of us god broke the mold on each one no two people are the same i mean i know twins that are direct opposites no two people are the same so you can't force someone to be like you but you can't encourage them to be who they are. And that's where yeah. that's where we have to be our best as fathers is encouraging our kids to be the best that the best person they are, not the best um, not the best clone of who we were. Absolutely. And that's something that I have told both my sons is I'm not raising you to be me. 
first off, I want you to be a hell of a lot better. I want you, I want you, my job for you is to provide you the opportunities to be the best you. And yeah, look, you talk about sports. We grew up sports fanatics, same, you know, here coached, you know, professionally for almost 10 years, soccer, the, you know, the entire time I can tell you right now, both my sons, it was, you know, not something that I pushed them into. Yeah. I didn't want to do that to them. I wanted them to sift through and figure out what it was they wanted to do to satisfy, find happiness and contentment in their lives. Now, obviously I have to be that guide, right? I have to be the one that provides them that layout so they can sort through all the candy to figure out which one they like, right? Or the multiple ones that they like, but that's, that's what, our job is right as fathers and as parents is to understand who your kid is because just in what you were talking about with your son my son is 14 he would probably enjoy a conversation with your boy because he likes the same thing and i you know i was an outdoor kid man he was he's he's very much into and has been into video games he wants to do the coding I mean, dude, he, both my kids, man, I'm blessed, but you know, my oldest is, is really coming into his own at 14 and he's a cool ass kid, right? Sure. He's probably never going to be a, a professional soccer player, but he's so much more than that. Oh, yeah. and, and I am, I am unbelievably blessed to get to see and excited about getting to see how he tackles this world, because I'm not going to be one of those that says, Hey, look, you absolutely have to go to college. I'm not, you go to a trade school. Great. But we're going to have that sorted out before that time comes, right? Like we're going to make sure we have a plan in place because one, that's what a responsible man does. Not only that, we only do this one time. So I want you to live every day. I want you to have the balls to go out. And if you feel called to do ministry, you go do ministry. Because that's a big task to take on. It's a big responsibility to take on. You want to go do coding? You want to go create video games? Here's what we're going to do. And this is the route we're going to go. After that, we're going to need this, this, and this. But the point is, we as parents, we as men, we provide that opportunity. That's our job. Not to create clones, like you said. I don't want them to be like me. I don't need to. There's already me. I want them to be the best versions of themselves to have that foundation to be able to take that on and be self-aware, have that self-esteem, have that self self-belief to say, no, no, I got this. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. And I carry my last name with pride. Absolutely. So that said, Josh, I have to ask, what is your son's game of choice? Oh man. So, for a long time, like like most of the kids, he was really big into Fortnite. And then that shifted and he he started playing a lot of um oh what's the basketball game? Uh, 2K? NBA 2K. Okay. Really into that. Really into that. Doing it online, like 
creating all the different things. You know, he's creating sneakers. That's the other thing that he likes, man. Like he likes to create. He's he's kind of a I don't want to call him a fashionista, but he's he's into he's into his apparel, right? He may get a little bit of that from me. Um, but hey, when yeah, you look think, good, you feel good. When you feel good, you play good. Yeah, your mentality, right? It affects hey, your physicality. Your physicality affects your mentality. I got that from Phil Foster on this last podcast that we did, but it's a hundred percent true, bro. It's a hundred percent true. You treat people how to, or you teach people how to treat you. And the looks can go a long way in starting that first process of that perception. So, oh yeah. That said, well, and, um, I, and I was even just thinking about this as you said that because uh, if your son is really into like fashion and creating, something uh, you could do is um, like taking to a raw or you know one of those kind of stores and find just an all white shoe, and then mm-hmm. say, "Hey, buddy, let's let's create something." Let's right. let's create a custom shoe right here. I I think I think he would love something like that. And like you guys painted it, like got all the schemes, like made something like that. Because I used to do stuff like that with my son when it came to pictures and different stuff like that. Like he wanted to have paint nights, and so yeah. like one night he painted uh, what he painted something really cool, and he asked me, he's like, Dad, you you have a little bit of an art background, like why don't you draw something so i i painted him a picture and it's half spider-man half venom the face is split and then he did he did one of like an anime character and i was blown away at the level of detail that he has in his skill like shadowing yeah Uh, he was he was creating like movement he was like see and this is him like jumping out of the window and he had like the debris behind him and i was oh my gosh you were like really good at this. And that's the stuff that's so cool because Mason is really into drawing the anime characters as well. Anime is like a huge thing with kids now. And he's, oh, I don't get it at all. He'll, he's he's <laughs> trying and I, dude, I've tried to have an open mind and try to watch it. I just cannot grab hold of it, get into it. But Man, we, you know, I'm, I make them. We have mandatory, um, pretty much arts. Not, I don't want to say arts and crafts, but it's creativity time, basically. And that can be sitting down, drawing, writing, reading. But we shut off the electronics. And he'll sit down, and, and it was, it was literally in my mind like he just changed in his ability overnight. He went from creating these pictures that you know kind of looked like a little kid's drawing and then it just blew up into this thing where i thought that looks like it's on the show yeah and he draw it's very you know intricate in the detail and again like you said the shading um he i mean he just he just blows my mind you know and and both of them are are vastly creative individuals and i i'm so hopeful that i can can help them tap into that as deeply as i can help them tap into their their you know athletic sides and the things that they want to do with sports and 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 what have you because there's such value in that creativity right there's such value to be able to sit down and spend that time and disconnect and engage your brain in that way um that i just think it's invaluable 
it's absolutely priceless. And I see a difference in them and how they respond to me and how they respond to the world around them when they're pulled away from the phones and the video games and the TV shows and we're creating or we're outside, you know, doing the physical stuff as well. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's very interesting just talking about your son now, how much, how old is he? He turns 11 next month. Okay. So a few years younger than Mason and, and kind of right in between mine, because mine just turned 14 and nine this month. Uh, In fact, uh, my youngest son's birthday is tomorrow. So he'll be nine nine tomorrow. And uh, dude, he's, he already thinks he's 15. So, <laughs> it's like, bro, slow maker. down. You got all the time. You got all the time. Enjoy this right now because it's going to be the easiest part of life, right? So, you know, it's 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 fun watching them. It's I love being a boy dad. Um, you know, again, their directions that they're going is like you said to your point. I mean, they're they're vastly different people, man. Massively different. So, it's fun seeing that that kind of unfold as they get older. And I'm telling you right now, man, the fun is really going to start hitting when it comes to your son, because the conversations are going to start changing. There's going to be some interest coming up that you're going to have to talk to him about. If you haven't already, <laughs> oh, about no. we, we've, we've had that. Talk. Yeah. And when they start Simple. growing, man, I'm telling you, I, I have enjoyed the hell out of my kid. About, you know, again, I, I love everything about all of it, but 14 13 14 years old man the stuff that that i've had to say out loud i never thought i'd have to say <laughs> you know i never thought they were sitting structures that i would put together right because he's he's the world is getting bigger starting to unfold and feel certain things and think about certain things different ways in all aspects of his life right I'm getting a little bit dumber to him and a little less cool to him. So, I mean, I take that back, dude. I can't, he can't think that I'm not cool, but no, but I mean, I mean, seriously, it it does change and I'm having a hell of a good time with it. For sure. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So that said, yeah, one note that I like to, uh, to kind of start to close out on is we talked a lot of good stuff, man, but who, who would you say you are now? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, I would say I'm, I'm a, I mean, titles aside, I would say I'm someone who has someone who's lost but I've always tried to keep the mindset of someone who can learn. Um, and, and I say that because from certain jobs that I had where either I left or I was, you know, removed from that position, I've always tried to learn from those moments, learn from those seasons, because I think that truly it's hard to embrace the next season if you didn't get the lesson. And so uh, even, especially in marriage, I think if you don't learn from the past year, the the next year is just going to be nothing but just heartache and pain because there's something there that you've got to learn. You got to change. Like we don't have the same marriage we had at year five 
that we do at year um, 10. It's because we have to grow, we have to learn, we have to change. And um, I think that as, as a man, we always have to be learning. We always have to be listening to those around us because those that we lead, they need from us is going to change. Um, you know, like for, for those that are girl dads, that they, I think that's one of the hardest in my opinion is to be a girl dad because I, I remember spoken as I a true boy like, dad. Yeah. Yeah. I remember what I was like as a boy and how I tried to pick up girls and I'm thankful that they're, that they had dads that, you know, were smart enough to teach them, Hey, that kid's kind of a knucklehead. Like he's, he's gonna, he's gonna turn out great, but he's got a lot of learning to do. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I think that it's uh, to where what uh, probably the biggest lesson I've learned is, you know, you got to make your time matter. And aside from the things that we have to do on the day to day, like what kind of time am I putting in with my son that matters? What kind of time am I putting in with my wife that matters? You know, not just for the sake that I can get something out of it, but that I can really pour into them and love them. Like, am I willing to have those conversations with my wife knowing that for me, it's going to feel pointless because it's going to be a lot of talking in circles, but for what it does for her is what matters. Am I going to be willing to watch anime cartoons with my son, even though I don't understand it, I don't get it. Right. And it's super awkward. It means something to him that dad is taking the time to watch this with me, that dad is taking the time to watch me play for. And, you know, I mean, Fortnite's cool and all, but, you know, I stuff to educate him that, look, I was raised on Goldeneye. Okay. 007 oh, Goldeneye. Don't even get you, me started, man. If us that out right now, like you Done. won't even be able to grab a gun. Cause I'll, we'll, go, I'll just, we'll go, I'll we'll go straight up now. slap mode. I'm good. Let's go. We go slaps. I'm coming back of the head. Bam. You want to see me coming, but it's just, it, it's, it's letting him know that, you know, there is still the side of dad that used to be a kid, but there's also the side of dad that wants you to learn than I was and better than I am. And I got to teach you that now. And it may seem like I'm hard sometimes, but it's because I know what's best for you because I made that mistake that you've been thinking about. So let, let, let me guide you in a different direction and take it's going to be promising and not something that's going to necessarily always be painful. And so uh, I'm, I'm big on learning, man. Like I think you got to learn. You, you've always got to take the time to learn something new. I think you always have to take the time to spend with those that you love and appreciate them and let them know that you care. But more importantly, I think that you have to ultimately realize that, you know, our time on this earth is it's limited. Who cares if you can't go out with the boys one weekend? movie go 
you know, do stuff like that. Like my son and I, like whenever he wakes up early and he's like, dad, I woke up early. I can't go back to bed. Let's, let's go grab a coffee. Let's sit down and talk. Let's, let's go to, you know, uh, IHOP or some restaurant and just have a boy's breakfast. You know, we take a lot of vacations as I'm sure you probably see those vacations because I want my son to see that the world is bigger than just he may think is here in Oklahoma City. The world is so much bigger. So I want his mind to go to places so much bigger than just local because I want him to see, man, you can have so many opportunities to do things all over the world, but I want to show you the world. I want to show you, you know, maybe some things that I got to see later in life or some things even I never got to see at all. Like really weird, awkward thing about me. I'm a huge wrestling fan. And in all my life, I had never been to WrestleMania. The first WrestleMania I got to go to, I took my son. Yeah. And so he has that memory. I have that memory. And he may grow up and he may hate wrestling, but he's going to always be able to say, my dad took me to WrestleManias when I was a kid and I got to experience this and I got to meet people and I got to do all these really cool things because he cared enough to show me the world and hold my hand through the process and not just send me out and say, figure it out on your own. Yeah. And personal growth is definitely stunted. If you're not allowing yourself the opportunity to see the diversity of this world, that was a mindset I took on early on you know, 14 years old going, look, I'm getting out of Oklahoma. Like I'm not just getting out of Bartlesville. I'm getting out of Oklahoma. I announced that at the dinner table. And for we're, our kids, you know, it's the same thing for me. I want them to know that this world is big and there's a lot of fun, interesting, strange, weird, eccentric, scary things in it. They need to know about all of it. They don't need to just hear that it's a scary place. They need to also hear that it's a beautiful place. And that starts with the job that we do in our walls of our home, right? And providing them, again, those opportunities to be able to see it, to be able to feel it, to be able to smell it, right? To, to encourage that, that adventure inside of them to be able to go out into it and say, you know what? Hey, look, my dad's pack or my parents have packed my backpack full of understanding experience. And I've got this moral foundation to carry with me as I go out into it on my own. You know, I tell my oldest son, I'm like, look, whenever you graduate high school, I want you to be able to turn and look at me and your mom and say, thank you. But deuces throw up the middle finger, get out, get gone, go, go live. Right. Don't worry about staying here close to us. You're going to miss family, but you miss your life. That's, that's far worse. And credit to my mother. She's the one that said that to me. She's the reason I've been able to go out and do some of the things that I've done and do it without a sense of guilt because I'm not staying close to my tribe, my initial tribe. But in that, I do believe that when we stay in the same spot, that personal growth is stunted because we're not getting that. So I think, man, I got to tell you, Josh, I'm proud of you. I've known you for a long time. And even though, you know, it's been a long time since we've been able to just chat it up, I'm glad we got to do so on this podcast. Absolutely. This has been and fun. I love it. And I, again, I mean, I'm proud of you. 
I'm happy for you. Uh, I love what you're doing as, as a husband. I love what you're doing as a father and as a man, as far as how you're leading within your community, because in closing, that's what this podcast is about right now. That's the essence of what we're trying to communicate. This message is for men like Josh to be able to sit in a hot seat, so to speak, share his story so that you're not only seeing the success if you follow his social media. You're not only seeing him being in a position that maybe somebody else is wanting, but they don't know how to get there, right? That's the essence and the point of what we're doing here with navigating the intentional life. And for anybody listening right now, if you want to continue to hear this, go out, go to the Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcasts, anchor app. We're on several platforms and look up navigating the intentional life. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find Josh as well. If you've enjoyed Josh's message and you, you have got questions, maybe when it comes to you yourself or feeling a calling and you're not really sure how to answer it, I'm sure Josh would be just as happy as can be to field questions. If Absolutely. you're not sure where you need to be in your faith, if you're confused about that, if you're a young person listening to this, if you're an old person listening to this, I'm sure Josh would be able to field those questions and would be more than happy. And you can find him, Josh, I'm assuming it's okay for me to give you this information. At yeah. Joshua Dion Dodd on Facebook, Twitter at the Joshua Dodd. That is a triple D and Dodd. And then also on his Instagram at the Joshua Dodd. Again, that's triple D's D O D D. Josh, I appreciate you, my man. Thank you, I sir. This is thoroughly. a blast. I definitely look forward to uh, bringing you on again down the road where we can talk more in depth about certain details. Maybe it's a faith. Maybe it's about being a father. Maybe it's just an update on, hey, where, how are things going? But other than that, my brother, I appreciate you. I love you, buddy. Guys Thank out you. there, follow, too. subscribe, share it so that we can continue this message down the road. I'm Justin Copeland. This is Navigating the Intentional Life. Take care. Thank you.